to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Cedric McLeod, a past guest on Maritime AgCast, is the president of McLeod Agronomics in New Brunswick, an advisory firm to support innovation and production advance for Canadian farmers. He also manages 300 acres of pasture, forage, and cash crops and produces grass-finished beef for direct market to local consumers. John Dinesfeld is a beef and pasture research biologist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Nepal, Nova Scotia. His main area of research is beef nutrition and pasture management and year-round grazing. He also runs a pasture-based farm near Wallace, Nova Scotia that raises beef, sheep, pasture poultry, and pigs. Uh, so thanks, gentlemen, for being with me here today. Uh, I appreciate your time as always. Uh, and maybe John, we'll we'll pull in with you first. Tell us a little bit about your operation as well as your kind of general pasture management systems that you deploy on your farm. Okay, well, um, I guess our, our home farm, we've got about 250 acres of land that is, is pretty much, I consider it all to be pasture land. We'll take a bit of hay off of some of it. And this year we, we put in a few annual crops to try and uh, use for fall and winter grazing. And then I've got about another probably 40 or 50 acres of sort of some neighbor, neighboring pieces of land that we use for grazing, mostly with our sheep flock, but uh, a, a little bit with the cows as well. Our, our cow herd for our grass-fed beef is about 25 cows that calve out. So that gives us anywhere from, depending upon the time of the year, from 60 to 80 head of beef on, on the farm between our cows, the calves, and the, and the, the growing cattle and finishing cattle. We have a flock of about 100 and 2,530 ewes that lamb out every spring. We do about 6,000 free-range chickens, about 600 free-range turkeys, and we, I'm not really sure how many pasture pigs, probably about 50 or 60 we do each year. So we've been doing grazing management, oh dear me, 25 years, maybe a little bit more than that, with our land. Um, and we started off sort of with rotational grazing, moving maybe every every eight to 10 days. But I really see a lot of a lot of benefits that we've we've moved to more frequent moves. So depending upon the time of the year, the conditions, and the group of animals, we might move them every three or four days, which is often the case for our sheep flock, just because we use nets for them, so it's a little more labor intensive. But our cows in the summertime, at times, we might move them two, three, four times a day. Again, depending upon the conditions, upon what the what the pasture looks like, and what we want the animals to do performance-wise sort of a, a range of strategies that we'll employ sort of based on what we feel is going to give us the best chance of meeting what our goals are. Most of our forage would be uh, long-term perennial pasture. We we do some frost seeding to try and increase some of our legume content. In particular, we'll put in red clover and bird's fruit trefoil. Yeah, so that's pretty much the the overview of, of what our forage program looks like for, for pasture at Haldane Confirms. Cedric, how about you up in, in Carleton County of New Brunswick? What does uh, your farm look like and your passage management system? Yeah, thanks, Brad. Thanks for the invites. Uh, I'm really pleased to, to team up with, with John uh, wherever I can. Uh, John and I kind of cut our teeth on this uh, way back when through the Grazing Mentorship Program. So uh, glad to see all the progress he's made. Uh, my program is not a lot different than John's, quite similar actually. Around about 105 acres on my uh, main grazing block and about 85 acres of that is is productive. We got 22 paddocks there um, that range in size from two to four acres and we run about 
about 30 cows, so a similar size cow herd to John. And uh, so we retain everything and, and market them uh, off the farm as two to two and a half year olds. So we rotate about every three days is where we've where we've come to. We started out similar to John moving them, you know, about once a week. And as we grew the herds, uh, we just found that the carrying capacity was increased enough by having more frequent moves that uh, we didn't have to add any additional ground. One of the main uh, maintenance strategies we use is uh, bale grazing. So feed about you know 800 to 1,000 bales a year. So we'll pick a couple of paddocks and and uh, and graze out on those paddocks. So we get a fairly significant load up of nutrients there. Uh, we do it on you know standing grass and the nutrients are retained. And then we find just just tremendous uh, response to that nutrient addition. Usually in about year two, it's it's maximized. But we move that around the farm so that we're getting uh, nutrient distribution uh, across the farm, and and that has also helped to to boost our our carrying capacity on the on the whole of the land base. Yeah, so I, I guess guys, uh, really, what we're going to talk about, or what I'd like to talk about today, you know, especially where we've come through a really dry season here in the Maritimes, uh, with not a lot of moisture in in June, really through September some strategies on how to deal with that, but, you know, maybe let's start with some fundamentals uh, of pasture management and, uh, and what you guys see out in your work with your, your fellow producers or through your research or some of the trials that you're doing to you guys, I guess, what does a typical pasture in the Maritimes look like as far as a pasture mix of grasses and legumes that are in there? Are we doing a good job keeping them up to snuff? Is there some rejuvenation we need to do? What do you guys see when you're, when you're out there? Maybe I can comment. I, I, I'm in the field a fair amount, and and uh, as kind of an agronomist, and, and I know John's seeing lots of this stuff and and putting it into play down at the Japan Research Station. So uh, maybe I'll start, and then you can backstop John or correct me. Uh, sure. You know, just just seeing a lot of pastures that are continuously grazed, and and not uh, honestly, not a lot of consideration given to to how to maximize or potential or or you know add supplemental management i think it's due to kind of the nature of the industry in the maritimes lots of part-time operators running beef animals and so you know getting them out onto pasture uh, means you free up labor to to go and make your stored forage and and that's that's understandable with with resource constraints so yeah a lot of a lot of pastures dominated with uh, kentucky bluegrass and 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 cooch grass you know those species that that move in when you don't give grass a rest and and uh, what we're commonly working on here in terms of rejuvenation strategies is just firing a couple cross fences uh, even if you only get into you know moving the cows once a week I think that's entirely manageable um, and then you know John had mentioned frost seeding which is something we use a lot on on our on our farm as well getting out putting a few uh, pounds of some of the improved species white clover, tie and ryegrass, uh, orchard grass, some of the fescues. And then again, uh, giving them a rest so that they can they can proliferate it and start to improve the the overall quality of that pasture and also its care and capacity. So two pretty simple management strategies, I think, to to upgrade some some overused pastures. So John, what do you think about that? Oh no, I, I definitely agree. One of the things I really noticed this summer where it was so hot and dry is that the pastures that on my own farm and, and around the neighborhood that are dominated with bluegrass, that bluegrass basically 
dried up and turned brown midsummer. But in a lot of pastures, once you start doing grazing management, you'll start to see that some of your your more aggressive species, like you might see a little more orchard grass, a little more tall fescue that that might have been there but not really able to thrive. Well, it becomes a little more dominant, and you'll you, you see those grasses. They they continue to grow quite long into the dry spell. They, they they weren't growing quickly, but they were they were green. They were they were alive, and they were they were growing slowly. You know, based on unavailable water. And by as soon as you start changing your your management from a, a continuous set stocking to a more of a, a rotational grazing system, you'll start to see some of these species a little more present, which gives encouragement that it, that if you do something like frost seeding or no-till seeding to try and and introduce more of these these more productive species, then you can you can get them to be a more dominant part of your pasture, and then that should improve your productivity overall, including in in dry years. Because like I say, there was some really noticeable differences in how species performed over this summer. So maybe to go along with that as well, do you see some other stressors or some other things like uh, weeds or or maybe some uh, some other stressors that pop up in pastures, particularly in either a, a drought or or even a, a wet type of period? Definitely, one weed in particular that seems to show up after overgrazing or or in particular when you graze when it's wet and you can you can have some pugging and leave a little bit of uh, bare soil is you'll see a lot of uh, Canadian thistle show up, Canada thistle. And it's, a uh, you know, once it gets going, it can really kind of dominate uh, sections of a pasture in, a, in quite a hurry. But again, grazing management actually can help to, to control or almost eliminate that. But um, continuous grazing tends to actually allow it to, to really thrive and, and can be challenged to, to overcome. And what Cedric's probably seen a, quite a bit in agronomy work with this too. Yeah, and and you see those patches are coming that that Canada thistle, and I mean it's you've got to admire its ability to do exactly what it's designed to do, which is to create ground cover. And uh, you know, same thing goes for for dandelion, right? Like when we don't get good sod being formed up and we don't because we don't necessarily always want sod because that probably means it's kentucky bluegrass which is and i think john's going to agree with me on here it's a great pasture forage as long as it's not the only one because it runs out of gas what are we talking john end of end of june that's right it's great in the spring great in the fall right so we got to have something to fill in between and so if we're trying to establish our grass, our pastures, and and we leave those bare spots, you know something is going to fill. So dandelion uh, is one, you know that that automatically fills in those spots, and then that thistle uh, is another one. The other the other weeds uh, that we've that I see quite often growing in patches, but those patches grow quite quickly as milkweed. You know they're they're great for pollinators, and I actually have a little patch on on my farm that I'm letting exist within a pasture because I want to create that habitat, but I'm being careful not to let it expand uh, too, too far so that it kind of takes over and becomes unmanageable. But, you know, you know, to Brad's point, you know, an anecdote, I, I was in Wisconsin talking to some guys, some lead agronomists down there, and I asked them, I said, you know, what's your, what are the major limitations to forage productivity in Wisconsin, which, you know, I consider the epicenter of forage in North America. And they said, uh, fertility management, P- soil pH management, and and weed control. So very, very basic agronomy and, and that, you know, and as much as we talk about advanced species and seeding practices and all the rest of it, I mean, we're right back to the very, very basis of basics of agronomy, which are really driving the productivity. 
The other thing that I would add to that that I think is we're, we're getting to appreciate more and more is soil organic matter, which kind of contributes to the whole soil health side of things. The more we can do to keep that soil organic matter high or to raise it, the more resilience we see in our forage and pasture land over time, either to wet weather or to, to in particular, dry weather. Yeah, I'd, just to back that up, and I'm sure Brad's got another question he wants us to get into, but I just want to mention, you know, to John's point earlier about some of the leaf elongators like orchard grass and the fescues that we saw really coming in and, and doing better in dry weather than some of our naturalized, say, Kentucky bluegrass. Uh, I found those pastures that, you know, that had alfalfa or white clover uh, with that taproot, you know, they really drilled down and found all the water resources they could in that pasture. So where there was a legume content, I saw a dramatic difference in the overall productivity. And so, you know, taking uh, good legume content in your pastures, plus to back up John's point about making sure you've got good organic matter levels there, minimizing that tillage, maybe using some bale grazing to get some of that residue out there uh, is going to pay dividends long term. There's no question about it for that moisture holding capacity. You both brought up soil health and balanced pH. Um, maybe just expand a little bit about that. And, and I know historically, especially here in the Maritimes, we we tend to have a little bit more acidic soils with maybe some other places. And can you maybe talk about the history of that and and maybe how the the regional pH has improved or not improved over the last couple of decades? And you know, really, what we can do on our individual farms to help improve the pH. Uh, so that those nutrients become available and help feed those pasture mixes? I actually had a conversation with a fellow uh, just last Monday about this and uh, said he had a little extra time. So he went out and, uh, and, and took some cores on his pastures and they were like 5.5 pH. And he just said, you know, I wasn't surprised. He says a little bit surprised that it was that low, but he hadn't limed it in forever. Right. So it really is no surprise. And I think this is, again, the challenge to my point earlier about our pastures just being a place to place cattle for the summer so we can go do the other air quote important work uh, on the farm. But we have to consider pH as the foundational go forward strategy to get started. Low pH means low nutrient availability, which means you know, you're going to get only those most rugged uh, species that will persist in that very, very difficult soil environment. And with, typically those are lower producing, uh, quite persistent, but lower producing species and cultivars of. You know, I know we're talking about organic matter. It's very important to make sure that we minimize tillage. But, you know, my strategy for, for these actively managed pastures, get the pH corrected. If you need to till to get that pH corrected throughout the profile, do it, but do not forget about the maintenance piece. So if you correct the profile and then you can you can surface apply, but you got to do little bits very, very often, you know, either annually or every two years and make sure you're maintaining that pH. That's the key, because if you improve it and then forget about it, you're just going to be back to tillage within, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. And you're really not achieving that the long term goal of, of maintaining that that sward and that uh, that rises fear in place. No, I, I agree 100% with what you're saying there, Cedric. And that is those small annual applications that are are what really let, especially in a, in a sod that let you maintain the pH and maintain the, a healthy sod. If I believe you're the, you're the agronomist here, but it's, it's about an inch a year that when you surface apply lime that it will actually start to penetrate down into the soil. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that's that's kind of a rule of thumb that that we use. So again, uh, you know, putting a ton of lime on every two years, right, means that you're you know over over eight years, you're 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 maximizing over that over that four inch kind of rooting depth. So it, it does. It is not a if you're just surface applying it, it's not going to be a quick fix, and that's where sometimes that that tillage can let you get that top six or eight inches worked in, get get the pH where you want it. Yeah, and and I think you know we've got new options. I mean, historically, working up your pasture basically meant pulling out the moldboard plow and and rolling it over. And we just know, you know, the 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 costs associated with wear and tear and fuel and labor and all the rest of it. I'm looking pretty hard at some of the the new age, say, uh, vertical tillage type machines that that you know act a lot like a no-till drill that will maybe create a, a simple slit within that pasture that will allow for some more downward movement of of both uh, lime and and say fertilizers or or manure nutrients right so uh, not a big fan of you know continuous rolling over that pasture but you know maybe every two years three years putting a, a smooth coulter through to just open up that sod maybe that uh, maybe it is the, the best of both worlds that's a good point yeah because that there are there are some newer approaches that, that exist now that as we get a better appreciation for leaving the soil as intact as possible, and we need to figure out exactly how those those work for us. Yeah, so guys, I, I guess I'm going to come back to uh, the 2019 or 18 Maritime Beef Conference, and I'm you know I'm an economist, I'm not an agronomist, I don't know a whole lot about what we're talking about here today, but I think I can ask some questions to help get a better understanding and. I remember Bill Thomas talking about uh, soil pH and, you know, he's been preaching for uh, since the early 80s through his entire career and now is into his second retired career about doing a better job with pH. And I guess one of the questions and conversations I have with a lot of farmers is even just the basics of, of soil sampling and, you know, to get an understanding of where to start. What do you see there? Are we doing a good job monitoring our soil health here in the region as that foundational piece to our our pasture and ultimately our animal health? I would say that some people are, and some people it, it's, it's maybe not necessarily the priority they've been focusing on, but it is important to get out there every at least every couple of years and for a lot of your key fields to do some soil sampling to get an idea of what's going on because it, it's one of those kind of things that sort of that old saying if you're if you aren't measuring it how do you know if you're able to improve it you've got to start by having you know know where you're where you're beginning at and and if you want to make changes if you're actually affecting the change that you're hoping to make i would agree there 100 percent and this comes back to something that's near and dear to my heart and, and Brad, you and I've talked about it many times is it's, it's data management, right? Setting up on the farm to, to be able to, to understand to John's point where you, where you've started and, and setting some goals on where you want to go. And there's really no excuse for folks not to be doing this work. Um, I think in every province there's, there's actual, funding available to, to hire an agronomist, even assist to go out and, and punch a few soil cores and 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 get a, a very preliminary read on what you're looking at in terms of soil pH and, and nutrient density. Lots of agronomists out there able to do that work. We're really not seeing the uptake. So it is step number one. And you know we encourage at every point uh, wherever we can 
you know, to to encourage that uh, soil sampling. And your lime guys, your your fertilizer guys, and gals, they're they're going to be more than willing to sit down and do even the most rudimentary nutrient management plan. Uh, the first step is is just to uh, just to take the first step. And just to follow up on when when Bill's given talks in the last five or ten years, he's really done a good job of bringing in the economic value of doing you know it's your basic fertility management. And I know like sort of was probably one of the primary goals on anyone's beef or sheep farm in particular is to try and have it be more profitable. And it's, if you do a good job of managing your pastures, and this doesn't matter whether you're we're talking the, the grazing management or the fertility management, they're, they're both an important part of managing the pastures. If you m- try to manage for optimal grass health, then you're going to be managing for very good animal productivity as well. It just goes hand in hand. So it helps to, you know, it might be an expense that you make on your fertility side, but it it it, it trickles up and sometimes fairly quickly to big improvements in your in your overall animal productivity. So it really helps to meet overall farm farm goals in a hurry, I'm I'm quite certain. Yeah, Cedric, and and I know that's a conversation we've had multiple times, is not treating that the cost of lime and fertilizer as an expense, but really as an investment in the future of the soil and the livestock that you're feeding through that grass. Uh, Any more specific comments on that? Well, I think, you know, back to my original comment on, on, you know, how to get moving is putting in some some cross fences. I mean, we've we've seen this time and time again, you know, just a simple couple cross fences, you know, six fences in a water bowl, say, to give you seven paddocks and and moving those animals once a week, right? That gives you 50 days of rest. You're likely going to double your forage productivity just with that with that one simple move. And once you've got that in play and you can maintain some additional higher performance species, you know, you'll add a few more points. And then when you add in half a ton of, li- ton of lime on average per year, I mean, that's 35 bucks an acre spread. It doesn't take very much on an acre to get $35 worth of grazing back out. I would argue a little bit uh, going out and, and putting a lot of nutrients into uh, a pasture that you're not going to actively manage for rest. You would have to rationalize that a little bit. And I invite John's comment on that. But I think if you put all those simple pieces together, you're looking at possibly doubling your carrying capacity per acre. No, and I'd agree 100%. The first thing you have to look at is managing the the grazing period and the rest period, that re, that chance for the plant to recover, to to make sure that its, it's new growth of leaf isn't going to be immediately chewed off by by your animals so that it just kind of weakens the whole plant, especially your more productive plants. That, that like to get going right away. One of the things that I really notice on pastures where I move the cattle more frequently, like this summer we had ones even like in, in mid-August, we were moving three times a day. You can go back two days later, even though we were in the middle of a drought, and you can see growth on those plants because those plants weren't being grazed off again as soon as they started to try to get that new leaf up there. And that allows that plant to be ready for when the rain comes it allows it to have that solar panel of its leaf ready to catch some sunshine to be able to grab those nutrients when the soil gets moist enough and and take that water and and off to the races whereas if you were we're not doing grazing management that first bit of leaf that goes up there is going to be it's going to be taken out by the by the animals and then it's just not going to be able to respond quickly when conditions are are once again right And, and even in a normal year we have that that happens to a degree and typically from 
through July and August when we have our warmer dry period. Just this past year was was an exceptional example of that. So again, you have to have that, you know, be able to give that plant a chance to rest and recover. That's really a critical part of, of pasture management. So in a year like this year, a very, very dry year, and if, you know, for someone that didn't have a really good uh, rotational or pasture management plan in place, and all of a sudden they got to July, is there any chance or is there anything you can do once you're kind of uh, already halfway into it to, to bring yourself out of maybe a pasture that will probably be finished extensive grazing in August? Um, yeah, is there, a I guess, a, a save that you can do when you're already in the middle of it or are you too far gone by then? I'm just back at grazing. I, I literally took the month of September off from grazing. Um, it cost me about uh, about 100 bales, um, but I had grass on most of the farm. I was ready to go. There's probably, you know, 10 to 10 to 14 inches worth of grass out there. But it was obviously just really struggling in September. It was still very dry. And I was just worried that if I put the cows out there to to take that resource off, yeah, I'd save my bales, but my pastures uh, all the way across the farm would have been in trouble if we hadn't got the rain that we have this fall. So I, I made that pivot. And and so now, you know, I've still got a month of grazing out ahead of me. So, you know, that's going to make up for those bales uh, in part, not in, not at whole, but in part. But I know that I'm going to have uh, something there to come back to in the spring that that is going to thrive as opposed to having a bunch of pastures that are completely chewed off and not a lot of chance to get through the winter. I'd 100% agree with that too. That's uh, We need to look at our pastures if they need that rest and often that's the case come mid-July if things have been already quite dry up to that point and you're better off to rest those pastures and give them a chance to to grow back. And an option that some people have at that point uh, is not an option everyone can do, but it, everything's going to be sort of farm specific. But if you hit, might have had some early first cut hay fields that you would have the option of of grazing, but again, you have to graze them appropriately. Don't overgraze them. You might be able to fence those and and use that to help stretch out your your re- recovery period. I guess the the biggest kicker with this summer was that you know we kept thinking, oh, hopefully next week there'll be rain, and hopefully next week there'll be rain, and there was a lot of weeks of hoping for rain that just didn't materialize. <laughs> but, you know, at, at a certain point, you shouldn't be scared to start feeding that, that conserved forage because it will save you money in the long run as far as letting your pastures not be, your reproductive pasture species in particular, not be completely eliminated from, from the pasture. The other option that you really want to consider, and especially it, it's really consider it's a hard decision to make though is to look at lowering the number of cattle you have on pasture your number of animals one way or another whether that might be from if you have calves that you'd normally send to a feedlot or something you might send those out early and and cut back on what your cows or ewes might need or or you could you know maybe you need to make the decision at some point that you you cut the herd by 10 15 20 percent and the earlier you can do that the longer you can stretch out every bit of grass that you have left Again, that's that's a big decision to make, but sometimes it's it turns out to be the best one. So I, I guess I've already had a conversation with a few producers this year as well that got into you know mid to late June and things are already starting to be fairly dry. And what are your thoughts on planting a, an annual crop uh, that can be grazed um, 
And we talked to Ryan McCarron a little earlier on the podcast back in early October, uh, and he had planted some sorghum to help with his uh, grazing and and forage crop. Uh, any thoughts on those annual crops and and how to manage those as part of your bigger system? Uh, and realizing that you know if they require tillage or or some level of tillage that that's not meeting your your overall ultimate goal as well. So how do you balance off those two things to ensure that you have enough pasture, uh, but you're not you're not doing anything that will go against your other longer term pasture management goals? Well, uh, I'm uh, I'm a big fan uh, of the no-till system. I think there's there's all kinds of of opportunities to roll in, and and I do a lot of interseeding myself, you know, both through frost seeding and and direct seeding. So there's really no reason why you can't move in and and do some of that overseeding like like Ryan is doing. Uh, we saw a lot of sorghum sedan grass and forage pearl millets and some of those kind of C C four warm season grasses go in this year, and in a lot of cases it saved it saved a lot of produce from some deep deep herd reductions the opportunity that i think that you have there is to is to take a look at some you know either a, a long-term hay field that is just you know the drought is obviously identified this completely run out it's time to get take some action to get it back into production that would be the first spot that i would go you know make that lime investment make that fertility investment you know if you're going to no-till or not right that's the time to do it and that comes back to, to record keeping, understanding where those low productivity areas are and focusing some of your investments uh, to those areas to, to push on through. That's, that's a really good strategy to take. I, I mentioned earlier that we typically do have a bit of a, you know, the summer slump in, in pasture growth. And one of the challenges you can sometimes get into if you decide you want to plant sort of an annual emergency crop sort of as things start to get dry is that sometimes you can't find the seed or supply of things becomes a, a little bit more challenging and and perhaps it's not a bad thing to plan to have a, a percentage of your of your forage needs that could be met by some of these annuals every year because it will it will just give you that resilience we can never predict that weather to know whether we're going to have a, a really good year or a really bad year but like it said your convention if you have these fields that need renovations or need improvements they can be good candidates to try and and incorporate some of these annuals into. This past year, I, I put uh, an annual mix into an area that I bale grazed for two consecutive years, so it needed some leveling off. And my goal with that was to have more more fall pasture, so we put a largely a bunch of turnips, kale, and a, and a few other species in there to try and have, have some really good fall growths for October, November, December grazing. It worked out really well, and it, it gives us a really nice opportunity to rest a bunch of our pastures now that are have been working well for us in a challenging summer. There's strategies you can do sort of in your bigger picture farm planning that can help you plan for that in, in the longer run. And, and you know, on, definitely on the fly, you can incorporate those things in, but we, we should maybe try to learn from how this summer went and, and try to make sort of a longer term plan that way that will have a summer like this be less in, of a negative impact on us over time. Yeah, if I could just jump back in there on on John's comment, I think you know John John's an avid bale grazer and and has seen you know the value of that coming forward and really uncovered a strategy that I use at my place as well. One of the comments we often get about bale grazing is, well, I don't want to wreck my pasture, 
you know, because we're going to obviously get a, a fair amount of animal impact, and and that's fair enough. I don't think either of us would suggest that you need to bale graze the entire farm. Just pick, you know, maybe that maybe that field that's that's run out and needs to be uh, rejuvenated anyway. Maybe that's the place to do it. So limit your limit your animal impact to that area. Get some nutrients in there. Great chance to fire in some lime. Um, you're probably going to have to get over it with a disc or harrow or something to to clean it up. That's the opportunity. Then you can come in with some of these annual crops like John's talking about, maybe plant that sorghum sedan grass to get you through that, that August period. And then, you know, once you've got those nutrients there and it's all smoothed out, you've grazed over it once, you've got those nutrients cycled, you can come back in with the no-till drill and establish your long-term your long-term pasture uh, mix. So I think thinking strategically about how you eat that pasture elephant a bite at a time. Don't worry about rejuvenating the entire pasture area all at once. Just be slow and steady and meticulous and, and pick out a piece every year. And, uh, and over time, you know, you'll, you'll get there. That's an interesting point too, because with bale grazing, I've been doing that for 20 years now. And I think it's, it's not even 5% of our farm that we cover each year with bale grazing. You pick the fields that, well, you want them to have decent drainage. You want them to have a little bit of shelter somehow for your for your animals. But you also, it, it makes sense to pick the ones that need that fertility and that would benefit from having a renovation, whether it's just from the bale grazing. I do find that things, you know, will recover over time. So, you know, we don't always look at a, a renovation afterwards. You know, it really depends on how your year's gone and what your what your future plans for that field are. But it can be quite quite effective at really giving a boost to those fields. I like to put a layer of lime on before the bales go on, and then that way you're, every, you know, just a way of kind of getting that whole pH boosted up, and then your fertility comes along from the bales and the manure. It's really a, just a, a win-win situation, and a heck of a lot less labor than feeding in the barren too. So, guys, it really sounds like there. This is a very complex situation for for even experienced guys like for you. So, what's the best way to approach that as far as you know, sitting down with someone with significant experience or uh, a professional agronomist or, you know, even with your seed company, you know, what's the first step for a producer looking uh, to improve their pastures as far as doing some forward planning? Well, you really want to start that forward planning in the fall and early winter. And it's just part of a whole farm plan, how your pastures fit in, how your stored forage might fit in there and start to to lay out ideas on, you know, what fields might work best for what. And then start looking at the basics of pasture subdivision to, to do a better job get managing that rest and recovery period. And that's where often, like you say, getting a, some extra help in can be invaluable and, and save you making the, the common mistakes that almost everyone makes when they start with pasture management. Or at least helping you understand what's going on so that you don't get discouraged and throw your hands up in the air, which, which can happen quite easily too. Laying out things like water lines and and water systems to make sure everything's going to fit in your bigger picture. What do you think, Cedric? Yeah, great, agree 100%. And just thinking about uh, when Jim Stone came down and uh, hosted us at your place, John. Uh, I yeah. mean, what are we talking about? What was that, like 2005? I mean, you're older than that, I hate to say it. <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, it taught us, well, taught me how to, to tie smooth wire. Completely yeah. revolutionized the way I fence. And it just made my life so much easier. So having some of those fundamental skills that maybe we take for granted, 
to be able to, you know, set up, uh, you know, some temporary fences internally on, you know, having that smooth bar on the outside, having somebody take you through those fundamental steps. And you mentioned the water system, right? So big project we put together this summer really struggled with animal movement because we ran out of water. And so water systems have become, you know, our go-to point for, for management moving forward, right? We, we couldn't anticipate the kind of drought we had, but being able to foresee those challenges that lie ahead, I don't think it's fair to ask anybody to do that, which is why, you know, the grazing mentorship programs that John and I have completed, the grazing mentorship that we've supported uh, with growers one-on-one, it just brings some of that experience and the memory, the muscle memory of some of those train wrecks, right, that you've lived through. Uh, nobody wants to have to, 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 to manage through those. I mean, it's hard enough to manage uh, without having that. So getting someone in to, to backstop your, your thought process and setting those goals and laying out a preliminary plan is absolutely fundamental. Well, gentlemen, before we uh, we close up here today, I definitely want to thank both of you for taking a solid hour out of your time to be with us. If anybody has any questions, uh, you know, that's out there in listener land, how do they get a hold of you folks to maybe discuss this a little bit further and and gain from the knowledge that you guys have of your 20 to 30 years of uh, being leaders in the region around pasture management? Well, I'd put in a shameless plug for the uh, Maritime Beef Council Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada Annual Forage Field Day, uh, where we often feature, I guess, both myself and John. We have a lot of fun with that. We didn't get a chance to do that with COVID this year, but Maritime Beef Council is putting on some uh, short video clips from John and I and others from around the region that that producers can uh, can view and and maybe that'll answer a few questions but if you want to catch me uh, mccloudagronomics.com all my contact information is there give me a call anytime love to work with you yes well and you can definitely try get a hold of me through my agriculture agri food canada email john.dinisveld d-u-y-n-i-s-v-e-l-d at canada.ca that's that's probably the quickest way to get hold of me and i'm god i love talking about pasture and, and trying to help people figure out how to do different more fun things i, I really I, I just enjoy pasture management and, and kind of troubleshooting with it so i'm more than happy to help out awesome gents well again thank you very much and uh i'm sure over the the lifespan of the podcast we'll definitely hear from you folks again it's been a pleasure that's awesome thanks brad always great to work with you johnny Oh, always a good time. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. Here's the market report for the weekend at November 13th, 2020, brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited, which has been Atlantic Canada's primary auction mark for more than 60 years. In the local hog market, base prices in Nova Scotia were $1.80 per kilogram, down 11.6 cents from last week. In Ontario, base price was down 11.6 cents as well from last week to $1.71 per kilogram. In the Quebec market, base price was $1.86 per kilogram, down 15.1 cents from last week. 
On the cattle side, fed cattle price at Atlantic Beef Products was 2.23 on the rail, no change from the previous week. In Ontario, live steers sold for $1.33, moving down 2 cents from last week. And in Quebec, rail price was 2.25, down 4 cents from last week. Call cattle at Atlantic Stockyards sold for 58 cents, a downward change of 6 cents from last week, while rail price at Atlantic Beef Products was $1.34, no change from last week. Call prices in Ontario averaged 61 cents, up 1 cents from the prior week, and 59 cents in Quebec, moving down a cent. Good pop calves between 90 and 120 pounds Atlantic Stockyards sold for $143, up $40, while calves in Ontario were down 10 cents to a price of $1.13 per pound. Calves in Quebec were $1.01, an increase of 4 cents per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland Brookside Abattoir were at $9.90 per kilogram and mutton sits at $5 per kilogram. 50 to 64 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards averaged $2.86 per pound at 58 pounds, ranging from $2.62 to $3.10. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs averaged $3.38 per pound at 57 pounds, ranging from $2.53 to $3.85. For 65 to 79 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards, a single group sold for 285 per pound at 70 pounds. And in Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs averaged 302 per pound at 72 pounds, ranging from 210 to 332 and a half. Use at Atlantic Stockyards ranged from $20 to $280, averaging 171. And in Ontario, use averaged 213 per pound at 141 pounds, ranging from $1.25 to $2.50. Make sure you check out the association websites for additional up-to-date pricing information. In upcoming events, the Nova Scotia Cattle Producers and Sheep Producers Association of Nova Scotia are offering virtual farm tour series beginning in November 2020 with one release each month per commodity until the spring of 2021. The Nova Scotia cattle producers are also releasing a virtual vaccine handling and injection technique presentation by Dr. Alexander Burroughs of Fundy Vets in November 2020. Check out nscattle.ca and nssheep.ca and their social media sites for more updates. The Sheep Producers Association of Nova Scotia 2020 annual meeting will be on November 21st from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the DeBert Hospitality Centre. Please register by emailing NovaScotiaSheep at gmail.com for in-person or the virtual meeting. The next module of the Maritime Beef Council's Atlantic Beef School focused on herd procurement and replenishment is happening virtually November 26th to 28th. Please register at maritimebeef.ca. The Nova Scotia Young Farmers, Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture, and Farm Safety Nova Scotia annual meetings will be held virtually between December 2nd and 4th. The groups will have events all week long beginning on November 30th. For more information, you can visit nsfa-fane.ca forward slash AGM. The Agricultural Excellence Conference is occurring for free virtually from December 8th to 10th. For more information or to register, please visit agexcellenceconference.ca. Upcoming sale dates at Atlantic Stockyards include November 24th and December 8th for feeder sales. For up-to-date pricing information and sale dates, please visit AtlanticStockyards.com. There are also two CAP programs available for 
sheep and cattle producers in Nova Scotia. The Cattle Industry Enhancement Program and Sheep Industry Enhancement Program are both found at novascotia.ca forward slash programs. A reminder that the Sheep Industry Enhancement Program application deadline is November 30th, 2020. Prenia is offering the free online safe handling and transport of sheep and cattle course as a safe handling course is required for the enhancement programs for additional information or to register for the course, please visit perennia.ca forward slash learning. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime AgCast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of archesaudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes.